0: This is Stacey Harbaugh and Marcus Slayton with your local news coming to you live from the WORT studios in downtown Madison. Here's tonight's headlines. Two Wisconsin lawmakers are asking the state's budget writing committee for $2 million to help tourism officials in Green Bay with the 2025 NFL draft. Senator Rob Coles of Green Bay and Representative David Steffen of Howard submitted a motion to seek funds to promote tourism in the Green Bay area for a three-day event. The Associated Press is reporting that the Green Bay Chamber of Commerce is expecting to draw over 200,000 people to Lambeau Field, generating an estimated $94 million for the state. The lawmaker said the draft will cost the Packers over seven million dollars, five million of which is anticipated to be funded by the team and partner organizations. The two million being sought will help with the remaining costs.
1: The Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources hope you bear in mind taking precautions to avoid conflict with black bears. The Wisconsin bear population has gradually expanding southward over the past few decades. Bears normally avoid conflict with people, but can also associate human activity with food sources. To avoid attracting black bears, reduce garbage odors odors by rinsing food cans, keep pet food inside or inaccessible to bears, even during the day, and keep meat scraps in the freezer until garbage day. If a conflict with a bear is unavoidable, keep a safe distance and make loud noises to scare it away but make sure it has a clear escape route. Never corner a bear and do not turn and run. Visit the DNR's black bear management webpage for more info.
0: Most UW system schools are expected to have a deficit by the end of the 2023-2024 school year. System President Ray Ro- J. Rothman released a financial forecast today outlining the ominous projection. All system universities, save UW-Madison, La Crosse, and Stout, are expected to end summer 2024 in the red. The Wisconsin State Journal is reporting that most schools will likely be underfunded between $3 million and $6.5 million, with UW-Milwaukee being an outlier with a projected $18 million funding gap. $60 million across the 10 of the system's campuses is the total predicted shortfall. The system has been struggling financially. In recent years, both the Joint Finance Committee and Governor Tony Evers have allocated less funding than what the system has asked for. In March, the UW Board of Regents approved a 4.5 increase for in-state tuition.
1: A Starbucks shift supervisor and union organizer said he received more frequent visits from company higher-ups after workers filed to unionize at the State Street Starbucks. He believes the uptick in visits was an effort to dissuade employees from unionizing. Andrew Troll, a spokesperson for Starbucks, denies the company's management presence was due to unionizing efforts. He told the Cap Times that management spoke to employees to provide neutral information on upcoming union elections. In March, an administrative judge ruled that Starbucks violated a federal labor law by attempting to prevent a Buffalo, New York location from unionizing. The State Street Starbucks Union election will be held on June 1st at the Federal Courthouse near the Capitol.
0: And several downtown Madison streets will be closed Saturday night into Sunday morning this weekend for the Run Madtown Half Marathon and 10K. Closed roads include parts of Monroe Street, Observatory Drive, and West Washington. You can find a full list of road closures at runmadtown.com. And finally, there will be no regular trash or recycling collections this Monday as the city celebrates the Memorial Day holiday. Madison residents who normally have their trash and recycling collected on Monday should put their carts out on Tuesday instead. The city's drop-off sites across the city will also be closed for the holiday weekend. And now on to today's top stories.
1: This week is the 49th annual National Emergency Medical Services Week. While Dane County celebrates the efforts of first responders, it takes special pride in the most recent data on cardiac arrest and survival rates. Officials are crediting the county's outstanding statistics with local efforts to increase bystander intervention. They are now encouraging even more community involvement in the future so that Dane County's medical outcomes continue to improve. WORT reporter Faye Parks has the story.
2: People in Dane County experiencing cardiac arrest are nearly twice as likely to live compared to the national average if there's a bystander intervention. In 2022, local cases in which the public intervened before the arrival of first responders had a 65% survival rate. The national rate under the same circumstances is 34%. These latest statistics come from the cardiac arrest registry to enhance survival or CARES, program. Their database covers nearly half of the nation, 145 million people, and their ultimate goal is to increase bystander intervention through either chest compressions or AED use. Cardiac arrests, when occurring outside of a hospital, most often strike in private residences. But loved ones and community members with a basic understanding of CPR and or AEDs have the power to help. The medical consensus is that the earliest possible intervention even from those without advanced training, vastly improves a patient's chance of survival. Dane County has been particularly successful in this area. Officials say the, quote, exceptional survival rates, unquote, are largely thanks to bystander intervention. Eric Anderson, the county's EMS data analyst, points to three main areas of success. Of these, two are due to efforts from the public.
3: So I think the, the first and and I think most attributable is the rate of bystander test compressions before first responders arrive. So we know the sooner that somebody in cardiac arrest receives CPR, the better chance they have a good outcome. The next um, attributable benefit or um, factor is an increase in AED use, so automated external defibrillators. Um, persons who go into cardiac arrest. If they have a cardiac rhythm that can respond to an AED, then they inherently have a better chance of survival, but that rate goes way up and their chances go way up if that shock happens sooner. So in the community, we have just shy of 800 AEDs registered in our local AED registry. So we can now connect that to our 911 call center and they can recommend to people calling 911 whether or not there's an AED within their location and where that is. And we saw better rates of people placing an AED and an AED being available before 911 responders get on scene.
2: Bystander intervention in Dane County saw a substantial increase in the last two years alone. According to the report, bystanders performed chest compressions in 40% of cardiac arrest calls in 2021. In 2022, this rose to 62% of calls. The newest report credits a number of elements that have likely precipitated this change. 911 dispatchers are consistently working to improve their on-call coaching, and CPR classes are more readily available to attend than ever. Anderson also credits DeMar Hamlin's medical emergency and subsequent resuscitation during the Bills versus Bengals game in January of this year with the increased public awareness. According to Anderson, the third factor in Dane County's success is the internal review of first responders called high-performance CPR.
3: So in EMS and in FHIR, the the resuscitation practice has really been focusing on the same principles that we're pushing to the public. The more time we're doing CPR, the better CPR that we're doing and the faster that we're acting on those rhythms that we can shock or that we can defibrillate, the better we're getting our patients a good outcome. So we have a pretty detailed and in-depth review process, but the short version is that every single cardiac arrest that happens outside of a hospital with a 911 response in Dane County, gets a detailed review of what happened, and those crews get detailed and timely feedback. And we've seen across all of the metrics that we've set, steady and and really promising improvement.
2: But they say there's always room to improve the rate of favorable outcomes. With AEDs cropping up in more and more locations, the county is encouraging bystanders to use them more in the future. During the time period the report covers, There were 118 incidents in which an AED was located nearby. However, they were implemented only 24 of those times prior to EMS arrival. Dane County has several other programs in place that seek to continue this upward trend in cardiac arrest survival rates. Some focus specifically on the public's education in CPR and the operation of AEDs. Dane County Emergency Management and most local EMS departments are a useful resource for those interested in receiving training. Another promising effort is looking to streamline the response from qualified members of the community.
3: There's an app that anybody can download. called PulsePoint. And what PulsePoint does is it alerts people to a cardiac arrest event in public locations within a quarter mile of their location. But anybody um, with a smartphone that has a PulsePoint app with the CPR alerts turned on could be notified.
2: County Executive Joe Parisi says that public awareness is key. This week, he is encouraging members of the public to pay attention to the resources available in their everyday lives and to advocate for greater preparedness.
3: You know if you if you work in an office you know wherever you work um, see if they have electronic defibrillators there
4: and if not um, see if you can talk to the folks there about about getting one um, put in put in the building to be in, to available in case someone were to go into cardiac arrest. Because the more resources that are out there, the more defibrillators, the more people who know CPR, the quicker people can call 911, the more lives are going to be able to save.
0: Reporting for WORT News, I'm Faye Parks. Union workers at True Stage, formerly known as CUNA Mutual Group, have been on strike for around a week. And after negotiations stalled earlier this week, the union has overwhelmingly voted to extend the strike. WORT producer Nate Wegehout went down to the picket line today to learn more.
5: Union workers at True Stage, formerly known as CUNA Mutual Group, voted earlier this week to extend their strike as they continue to call for management to offer them a fair contract. Workers with OPEIU Local 39 first went on strike last Friday after claiming that True Stage management had not been bargaining with them in good faith. Around 450 of the 1,750 workers in True Stages Madison offices are part of that union, where 94% of union workers voted to authorize the strike extension earlier this week. The strike is the first since the company unionized in the 1940s. Workers first voted to authorize the strike at a meeting last month after negotiating with the company for a new contract for over a year, They say that their top concerns are cutting benefits, outsourcing of jobs, and wage increases that don't match inflation. The union has also filed multiple allegations against the company with the National Labor Relations Board, including retaliation for union activity, unfairly laying off union organizers, and bargaining in bad faith. The NLRB is still investigating those allegations. Earlier today, I went down to the picket line to talk with Will Roberts, multimedia specialist with True Stage and OPEIU union member, about the strike. So so just to begin, uh, just tell me who, who you are and what you do with True Stage.
6: My name is Will Roberts. I'm a multimedia specialist at True Stage FKA CUNA Mutual Group.
5: And, and why did you decide to join the uh, OPEIU uh, union here? Uh, Because
6: I think it's really important that workers have the collective uh, bargaining power to improve their working conditions. And so I was really thrilled that this position was a union represented position. It wasn't something that I knew was the case uh, when I joined the company, but when I found out that... Uh, that was the case i jumped at the opportunity to join the union and uh have been really happy that uh we have a union here and that we have that ability to bargain collectively and improve our working conditions
5: and and now it's uh, we just got interrupted by some uh, uh some uh, honking there How how have things been going it's been you've been out here for about a week now how how has it been going it's been with the big asterisk
6: hanging over this of not earning a paycheck. Uh, it's been really, really fun. Um, I would describe the first few days as a, a raucous block party when we knew that the uh, internal launch celebrations of their new True Stage brand was happening. We all lined up on the sidewalk in the uh, physical picket line and uh, made sure that our presence was heard and felt. And uh, it sounds like we did disrupt their uh, activities a little bit, so that was fun to hear about. And as the week has gone on, we've settled into our stride, found a good rhythm for how to sustain this for the long haul.
5: Two nights ago, you voted to uh, expand, extend the strike uh, to going forward. It was supposed to end uh, this week, but you just voted to extend this going forward. Tell me a little bit about that. So two nights ago, membership met virtually
6: hundreds of members gathered together and we voted overwhelmingly with 94% uh, support to. Authorize an extension to our unfair labor practice strike. Um, I'll be honest It was one of the most inspiring moments that I've had in this entire uh, contract campaign so far Uh, To see that near unanimous support for an extension to our ULP strike means that uh, We are very united. We're very prepared to be in this for as long as it takes to get a fair deal and uh, the energy after that meeting was really something else. It took me a really long time to get to sleep. I was riding high.
5: And and like you said, about 94% uh, voted to extend that the strike here. Uh, tell me about that. It's been really special to see. And it, I thought it was
6: revealing because so that kind of solidarity isn't, a given, right? That's something that was built, that's something that's fostered, that's something that emerges with an excellent union leadership and with excellent union members. Uh, And it didn't, it could have gone another way. It could have been a 60-40 vote to extend the strike, but it was a resounding majority, a super majority, you might say. I'm not really sure where the cutoff between majority and super majority is, but uh, more than 90% is amazing. And so it was really, really inspiring to know that I was uh, standing there next to my union brothers and sisters and that we all have each other's backs. It was a really remarkable moment to know that we're all in this together and that really came through during that vote.
5: And, and I want to talk a little bit about uh, uh, what you guys are calling for. Can you sort of lay out for me what you are asking from formerly known as CUNA Mutual Group, now True Stage, uh, what you're asking of their management?
6: Yeah, so it's really important for folks to understand that what we're asking for right now on this strike is just that they return to the bargaining table because this is an unfair labor practice strike. We want them to bargain in good faith. They are, they're failing to meet with us at the bargaining table and make significant movement. We've shown our willingness over the last 15 months of bargaining to compromise. We are not out here because we want to be on strike. We're out here because we have to be. We've made significant compromises in our proposals and we're just asking that the company does something completely reasonable and that's have a conversation with us. Let's talk through the issues. But they're deciding to drag this out and uh, retaliate illegally against union leadership. Uh, They're refusing to bargain in good faith and those amongst almost a dozen other unfair labor practice charges is why we're out here on strike right now.
5: And now I, I was talking, I was chatting a little bit with the bargaining team over there a little while ago, but I, I, I want to ask you, how, how has the bargaining been going over the, the past week? Uh, have Has representatives from OPEIU met with, with management?
6: So something that we know for certain is that striking works. Management agreed for the first time since January to meet with our bargaining team outside of mediation and virtually. And that is a huge deal because that's something that we've been asking for constantly. And the second that we go out on strike, their attitude changes a little bit. So it tells us that what we're doing is working and that it takes a united front to
5: get real change. And now, since you guys have been out here outside of just management, have, have you heard anything from a uh, true stage at all or how, how has the reception been so far?
6: From what I've seen the company has been pretty tight-lipped about what they're saying at this point And the only statements that they've released are pretty expected
5: boilerplate responses So nothing really of substance And what about from the community? Obviously we've been hearing honking this entire uh, uh, interview here. How has the uh, outreach been from the community?
6: The community support is really, really inspiring. It's uh, really remarkable to see people who are uh, either taking time off or spending their time off uh, that they would otherwise be doing something out here on the picket line with us showing their support. We've seen union construction workers walk off the job site here in solidarity with us and refuse to cross the picket line and I can't tell you how much that means to us uh, to see that kind of solidarity. The support from around the country has been really remarkable too. Uh, we've got you know, our strike support GoFundMe online, we've got our letter writing campaigns, and our virtual picket line is something else that's been going on. So I've got remote co-workers who live all, the, all, all, all across the country who are, while we're out here on the physical picket line, they're meeting all day coordinating support for us, whether that's delivery of food and beverages, whether that's administrative tasks or social media coordination, community outreach. It's really amazing that we have that support from people who are not just here physically on the picket line. Is there just anything else that you want to share with uh, people about what's what's been happening out here? I think this is an important moment for Madison workers and Madison residents. Um, obviously CUNY Mutual group slash true stage is a really big employer here in town and so uh all eyes are on what happens here i hope that folks who are looking to organize their union or or organize a or negotiate a new contract can uh learn from our successes our chief steward joe Ovica said something that i thought was really inspiring at our april 19th press conference and that is that labor victories are contagious and so hopefully whatever happens with us here the outcome is good but it also means that good things can happen
5: elsewhere as well will thank you so much thanks nate a representative from True Stage told WORT today, quote, True Stage is determined to reach an agreement that is fair and market competitive that meets the needs of our employees, customers, and company. From the start, we have bargained in good faith to come to an agreement, and we are working very hard through the many complex issues on the table. We are encouraged by the progress we've made in these last two weeks, and we have additional mediation sessions set up for next week. As a result of our strong business resiliency plans, we have been able to provide uninterrupted service to our customers as we continue to bargain, end quote. Reporting for WORT News, I'm Nate (laughs) Wiggehout.
1: The time is now 6.33 and you're listening to the local news on WORT. I'm your host, Marcus Slayton, here with fellow host Stacey Harbaugh. Thanks for joining us.
0: Every other Thursday, our contributor, Jonah Chester, sits down with Tom Kamenick, president of the Wisconsin Transparency Project, to discuss open records and op- and government transparency. In this week's archival edition of transparency talk they cover how wisconsin's open records law apply to quasi-governmental corporations and a quick note that this conversation isn't specific legal advice so please seek an attorney's assistance if you have difficulty with open records or open government
7: I can see-
8: All right, it is every other Thursday, which means I'm joined on the other end of the line, as is tradition, by Tom Kamenick, founder and president over at the Wisconsin Transparency Project. Tom,
7: how are you holding up this week? Jonah, it's been a good week, and I'm looking forward to vacation next week. Ooh,
8: vacation time. I uh, I really, I need a vacation, TBH. Do you mind if I ask where you're going? Puerto Rico. Ooh.
7: Taking the whole lovely. family. We're doing the, the the big thing is the bioluminescent bays on Vieques Island.
8: That is a heck of a vacation, Tom. Uh, But you know what? Before you can kick back on those beautiful sandy beaches that sometimes glow in Puerto Rico, we got one more episode of Transparency Talk to get through before your vacation. And today we're talking about, you know, something I would argue is even better than a vacation of Puerto Rico, Uh, open records laws and how they relate to quasi-governmental corporations. Now, Tom, you know, I think I know what a quasi-governmental corporation is, but can you fill us in on the details? What exactly is that?
7: Well, before before I give you the details, if you just heard that term, what would you think it meant? So I'm thinking something like the Postal Service. <laughs> the United States Postal Service. Uh, it's a federal one, uh, not a state one, so I'm not exactly sure how it would apply. But yeah, it's something created by the government to form a, perform a government function, but it's kind of operating sort of independently. And you know, here in Wisconsin, we have a law that says, actually two laws that say these quasi-governmental corporations are subject to both the open records law and the open meetings law. At least if they're run by a board, they, their meetings would be subject to the law. So what is a quasi-governmental corporation? Well, the statute doesn't define the term like a lot of statutes do. So it left it up to courts to, uh, to decide how to define a quasi-governmental corporation, which I'm going to be saying way too many times today, I think. So back in 2008, this wasn't that long ago, the Wisconsin Supreme Court created a multi-factor test. So there's five factors here and none of them by themselves is determinative. They're supposed to consider all of them together. So number one is, is it funded by public dollars and how much is it funded by public dollars? Number two, is it doing a private or a public function? Is it doing the kind of things that government entities usually do? Number three, does it present itself as a governmental uh, operation? Does it present itself to the public and say, yes, we are part of the government, or does, does the government say they are a part of us? Four is it controlled by government? So are there government members or officials on the board or is it subject to control by the city council or something like that? Number five is kind of like the public question, can the government officials access their records? The idea there is if government officials have the right to see these private records, then the public should too. So you often see these applied in the realm of like public-private partnerships. Government is paying money to another entity, to a corporation, to do something for it, not as like a vendor, like I'm hiring you to clean my, uh, you know, you, I hire a janitorial service to clean a government building, not like that, but to do something as if it were the government. So this case I talked about from 2008 was about an area development corporation, Beaver Dam, and this What it did was you spend tax dollars basically to make a particular district area better by, you know, funding improvements to the facilities, streets, by promoting things. And the court looked at it and said, well, it's 100% funded by tax dollars. It has an office inside the city building. It shows up on the city website. City officers were on the board, although not in in a controlling number, and their contract with the government said that their records were open to city inspection. So uh, the courts decided that was a quasi governmental corporation. It was subject to the meetings law, subject to the records law.
8: So, give me an example of something that folks might assume is a Quake C, but where it is not and the law, the open records laws actually don't apply.
7: Yeah, it's often hard to tell. So these things do come to court. And just a couple years ago, there was a case about the Kemper Center, which is uh, in Kenosha County. And it's an entity that leases uh, a building in the park in Kenosha, in Kemper Park, and runs educational and community events and cultural things and kind of has a little Kenosha County historical bit to it as well. And the courts looked at this and said, it is not a QDC. And here's why. First, only about 20% of its funding came from government. So that weighed against it being a QDC. Second, the court looked at what it did. And like I said, it kind of operated a rec department and had educational programs, local cultural events. And it said, yeah, governments do that sometimes, but private entities do that sometimes too. So it's just kind of a, a wash and it doesn't weigh in either direction. Number three, it did not present itself to the public as a government entity, but rather made it clear it was leasing government property and running itself. As far as control goes, only one of the 19 board members was government appointed, so that weighed against being a QDC, but there was one factor that weighed in favor of it being subject to open records laws and meetings laws, is that the lease itself did obligate the records of the Kemper Center to be open to Kenosha County officials, but the court said we've got one or two that are awash, but we've got two or three that are weighing heavily in favor of not being governmental. So we're going to c- conclude it's not a governmental company, not a governmental corporation.
8: So for another example, and one that might, you know, hit actually geographically a little closer to home for people, what about private
7: voucher schools? Do those count as a, as a quick C? Yeah, this hasn't been litigated yet, but I think the likely answer is no. So starting with funding, it really depends on the school. Uh, some voucher schools just have a literal handful of students, so they would be very small amounts of funding. Some schools are almost exclusively, so it would be nearly 100%. Education, it's a mixed function. We're very familiar with government running schools, but there have been private schools far longer than there have been government schools. That probably wouldn't weigh in either favor either. Typically, the schools do not present themselves as government schools. They are marketing themselves very specifically as not being the public schools, as being an alternative to the public schools. Typically government has very limited control. They don't have members on the boards of these schools. There's a little bit from high in the state level, from DPI, some licensing and accreditation to run in the voucher program. But that's true of a lot of private businesses. You know, anybody who has to be licensed or get a permit from the government is subject to the same kind of control. So that doesn't really matter either. And I've never seen a, an exercise where government can access all of the records of a voucher school. There's a little bit of reporting requirements to DPI to maintain their status as voucher schools, but it's not an, an open book situation. So there's really only one of the five factors that would lean towards government and everything else leans away. So I think in a court case, likely they would conclude that voucher schools are not governmental or quasi-governmental corporations.
8: Well, we could keep going on this, but uh, we've come to our time for this uh, this episode of Transparency Talk, and I want to let you finish up your work so you can go to, uh, on your vacation. Uh, I've been joined on the other end of the line, as is tradition by Tom Kamenick, founder and president over at the Wisconsin Transparency Project.
7: Tom, thanks so much for joining me again this week. Always a pleasure. I'm counting hours to leaving for the flight. And remember, people, if you don't ask, you won't know.
1: There's beautiful weather in the forecast for this Memorial Day weekend, and all that perfect weather means that it's a perfect time to get out and hit the water. Nick Wiggyhout and Pat Hansberg break down where the fish are biting on this week's fishy business.
5: Alrighty, I'm on the line now with Pat Hasberg over at the DNS Bait Shop here in Madison. Pat, it's been some beautiful weather lately. Memorial Day weekend almost here. Going to continue that beautiful weather. Uh, perfect time to get out and do some fishing this weekend. I know I will be. How's the uh, How's the fish been biting?
4: Uh, the action's been great around town. You got uh, a lot of fish up shallow still. Many of them still doing their spawning activities. Uh, generally around the chain, say bass are either on beds or just moving off their beds. And the bluegills have started to move in, so they're um, making their beds depending on where you are. And, and when I say that, I mean uh, Mendota, the, the uppermost lake on the chain, uh, cooler water there, you'll, you'll have uh, everything just a little bit behind. So Wabisa and Kiganza have bluegills on beds right now, whereas Mendota, um, the bass are just coming off the beds, and uh, the bluegills are just getting ready to spawn.
5: And now let's go down the list. Uh, you mentioned Lake Mendota there, so let's start right there. You mentioned the bass are, are moving off the beds there. If I heard you correctly, what's what's been happening there?
4: Well, yeah, the bass are, are, are on beds and moving off beds, uh, but outside of the bass action, there's a lot of uh, fantastic walleye action still happening. A lot of those fish are starting to move out a little bit deeper, so in 15 to 20 feet of water near uh, breaks, uh, but also... Um, I've been hearing about a lot of those fish being caught uh, shallower, even less than five feet, so it's worth uh, poking around all different depths under less than 20 feet, but um, as far as other species go, there's a lot of pike around. The catfish action up here on the north side continues to be great at the 113 Bridge and in the North Bay of Mendota, and of course there's pike pretty much everywhere.
5: And that walleye bite uh, won't be lasting for too much longer here, uh, not at least as it is right now. So, yeah, this weekend definitely going to be checking out some of the walleye up there. Uh, But let's move on to uh, Lake Monona just down the way there. What's happening?
4: Well, the action down there is also good. Uh, Bluegills are on beds or making beds down there, so uh, they're easy to target up shallow. A lot of good walleye action in some of the same areas as Mendota. Pike action is good down there, and I've been hearing about some real nice muskies getting caught.
5: And speaking of muskies, last time we talked, I believe you said that uh, on Wingra over there, the muskies hadn't really woken up yet. Has anything changed over on Wingra?
4: I haven't heard much out of Wingra. Well, I take that back. I guess I did hear... Uh, One guy uh, got two muskies out of there. Generally in Winger, the muskies aren't the jumbo ones that you find out on Lake Monona, but there's a good population in there. And so that action is improving and and will continue to get better through June.
5: Let's move over to Wabisa and all of that area over there. What's happening on Lake Wabisa?
4: Down on Wabisa, the bluegills are up on beds and the bass are done spawning. So they're in their post-spawn mode, which means they're hungry and ready to eat. A lot of good pike action down there. One thing I should let people know is the Babcock launch down there in, in McFarland is um, has has been very shallow, but the county is in there dredging that out. Uh, the thing about that is that they're taking up two of the launch stalls down there, so um, I'm not sure if they're going to be take, blocking that for the Memorial Day weekend, but um, could make things interesting on, at that launch specifically. But otherwise, wabisa has been great
5: and we have to mention it every week here, Pat, but uh, uh, Lake Caganza, you know, it's there, so we have to talk about it, but have, yeah. you, have you heard anything coming out of the Caganza?
4: Not a ton, per usual. You know, it's, it's, um, it's full of fish. It's a great lake. Uh, those fish are just uh, a mystery to a lot of folks. Uh, that being said, I have heard about uh, bluegills up on the north end of the lake uh, near the Fish Camp Park area, a nice shallow area where the Ahara dumps in. Uh, a lot of fish on beds up there. Uh, the bass are also in post spawn mode, and I've been hearing about some walleye coming out of the area along the state park there.
5: All right, now we've hit the all the lakes in the area here. Let's move on to some of the rivers. Uh, what's uh, have you heard anything coming out of the Yahara there?
4: Uh, not a ton out of the Yahara down on Stoughton, in Stoughton at the dam there. They're, they've been getting some fish there. Otherwise, not a lot going on on the Ahara, specifically the Wisconsin River at all the dams has been producing, uh, still holding some white bass in there, and it sounds like the catfish are starting to move in there pretty good, Uh, and those dams are always a great place to find a nice mixed bag of fish. And we
5: are going to uh, round it out with some trout here today. Now, uh, uh, last time we talked, we uh, the trout bite was doing pretty good. I actually went out the the very next day to do some trout fishing. Actually caught a pretty pretty nice brook trout out of the Sugar River there uh, oh, over there. Uh, about about twelve inches, so pretty pretty yeah, decent one. Uh, made a good That's lunch. A nice
4: rookie, yeah. Yeah, made yeah, a good lunch sure.
5: at the very least. Uh, but uh, what have you been hearing as of late? What's the trout bite been like?
4: Carbite's been great. You know, the, the weeds are still at a manageable level that I was out this last weekend myself. And, you know, I'd say they're about knee height, maybe a little higher. Um, so they're not uh, choking things out just yet. Uh, a lot of good hatches coming off. So if you're fly fishing, you get uh, a lot of, lot of good action on the surface. But uh, on the spin fishing side of things, a Rapala or Panther Martin spinner is a great option. Also, you know, it's hard to Forget about running a just running a nightcrawler or a worm through through a riffle under a bobber. It can be very very productive for those fish.
5: And that's exactly what I did uh, just about two weeks ago, and that's how I caught that guy. Actually, ended up catching him twice because I uh, I'll be honest, dropped him in the water the first time. Uh, okay. Caught him again though, so uh, <laughs> everything worked out there. Uh, well, that'll there just about do it for today here, Pat. Any any final fishing advice before the Memorial Day weekend here?
4: i just uh, hope everyone gets out and enjoy the beautiful jo- enjoys the beautiful weekend. Uh, and I just want to remind everybody to be patient. The launches are going to be busy this time with pleasure boaters and Fisher Fisher folks out there. So uh, you know, but uh, give each other some space and some time, and we can all have a good time.
5: Well, I've been talking with Pat Hasberg over at the DNS Bait Shop here in Madison. Remember, you can hear an updated fishing report anytime that you want, just by calling six zero eight. Big Fish. Pat, thank you again for talking with me, and good luck out there.
4: No problem. Always a pleasure, Nate, and uh, good luck yourself.
0: Forward Madison FC had a roller coaster pair of games recently, from toppling USL League One leaders in North Carolina to a tough loss at Bree Stevens Field just five days later. The footballing guides of forward focus are here to guide you through all the ups and downs
9: good evening and welcome to all of you wonderful WORT listeners for this week's installment of forward focus where we take a deep dive at all things Forward Madison FC, Madison's and Wisconsin's only fully professional soccer team. I'm Grant Peters, assistant editor at Ford Madison FC-centered sports and culture outlet New Dogma Zined. I'm joined, as always, by editor of NDZ and producer of Forward Focus, Andrew Schmidt, and Ford Madison's director of public relations, Evan Warwick. We'll start tonight with a look back at Ford Madison's last two matches, a huge road matchup against the table-topping North Carolina FC on May 13th, and then a chance to move up the USL1 table a week ago in Madison against Northern Colorado Hailstorm FC.
10: On May 13th, Ford Madison traveled down to Cary, North Carolina to take on North Carolina FC. Featuring a lethal attack and formidable defense, North Carolina was off to a scorching start to their 2023 campaign. Going into the match, forward Madison had the least matches played in the league and sat towards the bottom of the table. The tone of the match was set early on with a rocket to the back of the net, courtesy of forward Madison's Isidro Martinez. A second-half header off a corner by FMFC captain Mitch Osmond propelled the Flamingos to three points and a road victory. Still unbeaten in league play, forward Madison returned home for a midweek match on May 18th. The match got off to a fast start for the visitors when a deflected ball went into the back of the net in the 11th minute. While FMFC was able to keep the deficit at one going into halftime, a red card and subsequent second goal in the second half proved to be enough to send FMFC to their first loss on the young USL League One season. The sixth match unbeaten run was the longest to start a season in forward Madison history. While I was up in the press box for the match, Andrew was pitch-side in the flock end, getting supporters musings on the match.
3: Flamengo's defender, Timmy Mell, had arguably his toughest night out in the pink and blue. I talked with supporter Oleg about his impact
11: on the game. I feel like it's been the unfortunate um game for one of our players who got the right card well we we all saw that part of you know the first goal was was on him right if we are honest so I think it's just unfortunate game for him and he tried to you know make a, a foul of the last hope trying to uh, to save and which which he did honestly I mean it was a good save penalty so I think we had some good moments but it's just we didn't push hard enough
3: some supporters are suspicious of far more dubious root causes when asked if timmy mel deserved his straight red card one supporter had this to say
7: oh 100 um i think it all started when he tucked his shirt into his shorts um hot take there was 22 guys on the field one had his shirt tucked in he got a red card it's a stat that's a stat not a take
3: timmy mel's straight red card notwithstanding other fans are wondering what needs to be done to start claiming all three points at home.
8: It just felt like the whole first half, they just seemed like they were, all the play was down here at this end, and it just seemed like they were a little flat, you know, and uh, hey, the turnout tonight has been phenomenal, and you know, the, the support is obviously there, as you can certainly hear in the background, but yeah, I don't know what it's going to take, it's weird, I thought tonight, I was like, all right, I'm finally going to come to a game, and it's going to be a win, no, I felt like guarantee, I even, you know, I was like, oh, I bet, you know, I bet it's going to be like a 2 nothing game, you know, but yeah, I guess I was right about that, just the other way, you know, um... At least the fans are always going to support the team no matter what, so there's that aspect, you know. I feel like everybody brought the energy, but for whatever reason, just not the response on the field.
9: Aside from those reactions from the fans, I also was able to grab some thoughts from Ford Madison keeper, Baron Shipman. When asked how to keep a squad together and lead them through a man down in the 55th minute from a red card, Shipman had this to say.
11: I believed the whole time that we don't lose here and um, for me it was just important I saw the players that were tight and stuff to somehow get in their mind and try to be as possible as I can so um, I talked to Mitch, I talked to Aiden, tried to grab them uh, gave them a little punch on the back like that we have to believe in it and uh, that's what I said in the dressing room too 25 games left, believe in it, learn from it and I'm pretty sure will be a great season.
9: When I asked him what he felt the team needed to do in order to improve after the first half, he
11: said this. Be patient. I had one shot, a lucky one. Mistakes happen. Yeah. And that's why we are a team. So if one makes a mistake, hey, the next one is down. So that's what I tried, hey, because we started to rush a little bit. Like, mm-hmm. oh, we want to go boom, 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 boom. And that doesn't work. We have to play all our game. Be organized, and there was 80 minutes left. So much time, and we are able to score. So um, yeah, that was my message.
9: Looking ahead to FMFC's next match against Union Omaha, Shipman had this to say.
11: Everyone has to look in the mirror and think about, eh, hey, what did I good, what did I wrong, and I know the coaching staff will work on it, go through the game, and analyze our mistakes and stuff. Um, not everything was bad, to be fair, but it was. We cannot play the whole season with clean sheet. We have to be in the uh, right mood, work the whole week to bounce back against Omaha. So if you go like, ah, okay, Mm. doesn't matter, you lost, ah, that's not how it works. We have to see our mistakes, learn from it, speak honest to each other, and then we have to work the full week.
9: Shipman is no stranger to leadership and to forward Madison FC. The German-born keeper, who represents the Philippines on a national team level, was on trial with Ford Madison last season. While he didn't play a match in 2022, Shipman entered the 2023 season familiar with Madison, the fans, the coaching staff, and his teammates. He's taken advantage of this familiarity with a hot start to the season, tallying two clean sheets, two USL League One Team of the Week honors, and two, yes, I said two, massive penalty saves thus far. A leader by example and voice, more and more FMFC supporters are gravitating to the goalkeeper's confident, engaging personality. Combined with his play on the pitch, Shipman is fast becoming a fan favorite and one of the shining stars
10: on this year's squad. That concludes this week's Forward Focus installment. If you want to hear a full interview with Ford Madison's Burn Shipman, check out episode 16 of NDZ Live, wherever you get your podcasts, where Andrew and Grant chat with Burned about his hot start to the league season, playing with Eintracht at 15 years old, and fan support in Madison. For Grant and Andrew, I'm Evan, and as always, be easy and up to go.
1: And that's a wrap for WORT's Live Local News at six. Your headline writer was Peter Voller. Your script editor was Russ Mackey. Your reporter this evening was Faye Parks. Special thanks to feature contributors Jonah Chester and Tom Kamenick, Pat Hansberg and Andrew Schmidt, Grant Peters and Evan Warwick. Nate Carlin engineered the show. Nate Wieggehow produced this newscast. And Ms. Sholly Pippen is the news director here at WORT. Thank you guys for listening. I'm your host, Marcus Sleep.
0: And I'm your host, Stacey Harbaugh. Be sure to subscribe to the WORT local news as a podcast. Up next is the Perpetual Notion Machine. Thanks for listening and good night.